host of J-Cut, and this is the K-Cut, a movie podcast for movie lovers. Welcome to another edition. My name is Andreas, and I am a big fan of art house and international cinema. And as you're probably going to hear very shortly, within the next month or two, um, I also have a guilty pleasure soft spot for the Academy Awards, and we're going to be discussing that unquestionably. Who else is with me on the pod? My name's Rachel, and I've never watched the Academy Awards in my life. Not even every film last year? No, not at all. Um, I like international film and old cinema, and I write for Films Fatale and look for some interesting trivia things coming from me in spring of 22. James here, content creator, artist, and stay-at-home husband. I produce and release music under the A-List Boutique Paul, and I am one half of the Press Day podcast. I'm also part of the Films Fatale writing team. And I got to choose the topic for this episode, and I thought it might be fun to discuss films that take place in winter because snow is upon us. So I just thought it might be fun to kind of have that theme. And then for the second half, we're actually kind of going to do a recap of the year because it was around a year ago that we actually started recording the episodes. I also should point out that for two Canadians and a dude from Michigan, this is definitely going to be a very appropriate episode. Oh yeah, definitely. Because snow uh uh why why you gotta do this to us james uh i i despise <laughs> the snow but i do feel like it's as it's as fitting as the conversation can get yeah so who wants to go first i'll go first all right take it away Okay, so I wanted to go with an Icelandic movie because it is very cold there, and I also love to rock on with the old Icelandic ancestry. So I went with Arctic, which was released about three years ago. I did cover it for Films Fatale one week, so you guys might know it from there. And yeah, it's Mads Mikkelsen, and he plays a pilot who is stranded all alone in a very remote part of Iceland. So the movie is not perfect, I will admit that first. It drags a bit in the second half, but it is very good for this incredible performance by Mickelson. And for anyone who likes survival stories, it's definitely a good one. Um, He is pretty much the only character for 99% of the movie. He uh, really puts himself out there for it. And it's kind of like Castaway, but, you know, no talking volleyballs. So I would recommend it to anyone out there who is looking for a good survival story. And does not want to see the mountain between us because that movie sucked. Ugh, yeah. We, 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 we don't. <laughs> I remember when the mountain between us was the elephant in the room at the award season where it's like, you're trying to push this. You're trying to push this movie. Anyway, back on to more interesting things. Um, I think sign me up whenever Matt Mickelson is involved because I feel like the guy could play an eggplant and he would be convincing. I feel like like he's just a master of his craft. So to see him being like basically doing a one man show in uh in, in this in this film that you're talking about, that sounds like at least it's worth a shot. He doesn't jazz dance though, just fair warning. Oh, oh. that's too bad. Oh. He should dance in everything. Anyway, if you want snow, it's it's in there. In there's a lot of snow. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, sounds good to me. Um, is this because I know you watched this for your uh, World of Movies column? Which uh, again, uh, as Rachel pointed out, uh, if you guys haven't checked that out, uh, please do. You're, you're going to get some really interesting recommendations doing this. Do you feel like that this is something that you would like to revisit in the near future or distant future? And what connotations with winter has it given you? Because I'd like to talk more about this. 
Well, I would say that... Hmm. Okay, so the way that Margaret Atwood described Canadian literature is that its main tenet is survival, because our nature is freaking terrible and wants to kill us. So anything in our literature, anything in our cinema, its core message is going to be survival. And I think that Iceland has a lot in common with us in the same way. So when I think of winter, I think of trying to get through it and trying to exist. And this is the epitome of that. All right. Well, I think... uh... I think that sounds very appropriate. (laughs) Um, What's yours, Andreas? All right. For my one, um, rarely on, on this show do I know an answer so immediately and instantly than, than I did for, for this question. It's been a bit of a ritual for me uh, since as long as I can remember, at least over 10 years now where and unfortunately, this year and last year, I didn't get around to this because last year I was doing all of my uh, movie research for my decades lists. And uh, this year I've been trying to squeeze in all of the TV series for uh, that accompanying list I do in April. But typically every year I will watch this on the first snowfall of the winter. So not like January, but like when winter comes around after fall um, or if it starts snowing during fall, you know, you get you get. You get the gist of it. Um, the first snowfall of that coming winter, I will always watch Fargo by the Coen brothers. And that to me is quite possibly my favorite snow-based movie I've ever seen, especially with how frigid, you know, the context or especially with how frigid the content matter is where you're looking at somebody who's willing to betray his own wife, his own family, just to try and get a bit of money. And uh, instead of uh, turning out to be the hero that he's striving to be, he's quite honestly an even bigger loser by the end of this thing. And you're seeing um, Marge Gunderson and uh, her husband, which you don't see much of, but basically the two of them, I would argue are like quite possibly like the only people that come out of this looking good in any, in any way. Um, You know, neither of them are naive, neither of them are uh, evil, I would say. Um, but that's kind of it. Like Fargo just presents this cold world and what people are willing to do for, as March would put it, a little bit of money. And uh, even with all of the snow, uh, she's also apt in pointing out that uh, you could quite honestly have a beautiful day with the snow, the blizzards, the freezing temperatures. But it's still a beautiful day because it's it's one that is ours. And I just I, I love it. Every time it snows. And I put this on first off, I think it's a hilarious film um, and such an interesting crime film as well. But I feel like I can like, not just because it's snowing outside and I could feel the drop in temperature, but I feel like I'm, I'm there, you know, so that's, that's my go-to every winter. I've heard Fargo described as film blanc because it's a mystery, but you can't call it a film noir because of the weather. <laughs> I've that never heard that. Sense. That's amazing. I've never heard that. It was almost my pick. I, I had a feeling because uh, for the listeners at home, we tick, we uh, typically will try and explain without explaining what our picks are by giving like the general year. And for this one, you were like, uh, what year did yours come out? What nationality is it? I'm like, uh oh, did we both pick Fargo? <laughs> <laughs> this It actually inspired this episode because I was like, winter, Fargo is a good winter movie. But I mean, 
I, I had a backup. So I was like, nah, I know what it is. I'll let him have it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really enjoy the movie. I also, I think one of the best things about Coen Brothers movies is always there's some really interesting idiosyncrasy. And I think it's in the form of Marge being pregnant while also still working. Mm-hmm. And not letting it get in her way, really. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like there's always some sort of element that has absolutely nothing to do with the plot, but it just ties into the character so well. Also, William H. Macy, it's one of his, probably one of his finest performances. Oh, yeah, I'm still kind of mad he didn't win that year. Who did win that year, out of, out of curiosity? Like, was that Cuba Gooding Jr. or was that a different year? Was that 94? Oh, uh, well, this was 96, I think. So this was okay. the year Google's that it was. Yeah. Uh, okay, to you the guys Google keep talking, I'll look it up. Also, who doesn't love Steve Buscemi? Oh, well, yeah. Well, outside of Peter Stromer, maybe. Uh, yeah, I feel like... I need to give a quick shout out while Rachel's doing that to um, a fantastic sister film. If you're looking for a great double feature, if you haven't seen it, that's a 2014 film, uh, Kumiko, the treasure hunter, which is actually based on this film. So in case you don't know that uh, based on a true story uh, note at the beginning of Fargo is actually fake that this is not based on true events at all. But um, this follow-up film by David Zellner and starring the always fantastic Rico Kikuchi. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about somebody who believes that this is a real story and tries to go find, I don't want to spoil Fargo too much, but tries to go find a specific landmark to see if, uh, you know, if it's a true story and if she can reap benefits off of it. Again, I don't want to spoil Fargo in the meantime, while I'm discussing uh, Kimiko, the, uh, the treasure hunter, but um, fantastic double feature, I would say. Um, it was Cuba Gooding Jr. By the way. Ah, uh, well, uh, I mean, he's good at Jerry Maguire, but like, yeah. I feel like that should have been William H. Macy's. I mean, agreed. But, you know, it's always so hard to choose. Yeah. And another thing that kind of damns the Oscars, and this is something that we could discuss in, you know, during the award season is the curse of hindsight, where in the moment you could get caught up in an awards race. You could be like, yeah, yeah, I really want so-and-so to win. And then like years later, you might be like, was this really their year though? You know, and it, it's, it's tricky, but uh, undoubtedly we're going to be facing that this year, especially with like stuff like King Richard coming out. But nonetheless, that's not this episode. That's my pick. Um, what about, uh, what about you, James? Since this is your topic and I unfortunately sound, it sounds like I, I pushed you away from your pick. Uh, what is your pick for this, for this topic? So I decided to go with, the film where Leo finally got his Oscar, The Revenant. Oh, oh yeah! I'm so happy because that was like that was my plan B. So it sounds like we basically both picked the same yeah, the two same films. Picks. Yeah, and here I thought you were talking about the Ice Storm or Titanic. That's not really winter; it's like Easter. Well, tell that to to poor Jack who died in the middle of the thing. But yeah, anyways, Titanic spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's. It captures winter so elegantly, mainly because it was shot by the goat Emmanuel Lubezki. Yes. Yes. Also, also one of the three collaborations he did with, um, oh, it wasn't three collaborations. Two were Alejandro uh, González Iñárritu, because I remember the other one he did was actually with uh, Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity, right? Yeah. Yes. That was the three. But yeah, this is one of the ones where he did the three-peat. I was like, man... But also, yeah, I, I though I think there are plenty of other Leo performances that earned it, I definitely applaud him for 
carrying that movie the way he did, especially that bear scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was CGI, but that was intense. Also, where was it? He came across. Uh, oh, who was the guy he came across? Where he? It, what did he? What was that? A heart or something? It, it was like the uh, the liver or uh, yeah, the it, liver? it was some internal internal I, organs. I just remember reading that he had actually eaten it, like it wasn't fake. Yeah, yeah. To kind of like make it more real, but also just the, just this kind of story of this guy. Um, Oh, because I, I remember it was based on a novel of uh, Steve D- Hugh Glass. What was he trying to get? I can never remember. Wasn't it his family back? I th- think it was that. And then there was the one dude he was like trying to chase, chase down on his journey. All I know is the scene that got me was when he did that makeshift cauterizing of his wound with gunpowder. Oof to his neck i was like wow i couldn't imagine living in a time period like that where you had to do things like that but yeah i don't know i just, I just it, it i remember someone recommended it to me and i was like you know what? actually i think it was a coworker of mine who let me borrow it and i watched it and just yeah just the way the camera work is especially with winter uh and the fact that lubezki does natural lighting yeah i don't know i i, I think I, I think it definitely deserved all the awards it got and Leo finally got it after everybody, you know, raving about how he never gets the win. I do want to say, uh, first off, uh, I like I myself don't feel like Leo carried the film because I think the film is just a masterful production through and through. Like, I feel like just everything about it is just fantastic. And you bring up Lubezki's photography and I feel like... Uh, that as well is just like so noteworthy. It's one of the best looking films of right. all time. I, I think and, I meant more how he carried the character. I didn't mean to say mm-hmm. the film because, yeah. Oh, yeah. The filmmaker no itself was just. Yeah, but it, it was true because I think there are a lot of movies where somebody wins an Oscar and they were kind of just another good part of a good movie. And it's not to say that The Revenant is bad, but it's saying this really wasn't an actor's movie. Yeah, and I feel like that's something that I want to pose very quickly, and I feel like uh, both of you would have some very good insight on this. A lot of people consider this like Leo's legacy win. Like, um, this isn't really uh, like okay, you know, a lot of actors don't win for their best performance, but uh, you know, they a lot of people go on to say that this isn't even like a noteworthy performance, which I heavily disagree with. So, how do you both feel about that? I think it's impossible to say until about twenty years have passed. Fair enough, honestly. I think he should have won for Wolf of Wall Street personally. Well, you My favorite still. Of his is still Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love how he glares at those hippies. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that is actually a really good role. Yeah, it's uh I mean he's just fantastic all around, but I do I think what's getting to a lot of people is that the two performances that you, you both brought brought up are more in his wheelhouse, so he's obviously always going to slam dunk it every time, whereas you don't really see him do a Revenant that often. So, I don't know. I still think it's one of his best performances, but the other two that you both brought up are for sure up there as well. I would I would also go with Wolf of Wall Street as his best. It makes me wonder what else he can do if he can step out of his sort of prescribed range like that. Yeah, that could be a fantastic discussion one of these days. What do we want to see Leo do? You know, like the guy who could do anything. What has he not done that we want to see? Speaking of that, the comeback of Brendan Fraser in the way that it's happening, I am all for. Because 
he's taking on roles that were not what he was doing when he was at the height of his popularity. Like I'd seen him in um, No Sudden Move. And I was like, this isn't Brandon Fraser. And then he's, I think he's getting ready to work with Darren Aronofsky. And then he was just cast as a villain in a um, DC Comics adaptation. And I'm just like, before he was like the pretty boy action star, you know, the funny guy. And now we're getting like the dramatic, like, you know, almost get the thespian version of Brendan Fraser. And it's, it's exciting. I don't, I, I always love when actors kind of like step outside of their typical archetypes, like how Adam Sandler can really act, but he just refuses to make like really good movies. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. on that note, uh, as uh, everybody can hear, uh, we do love talking about movies uh, a lot. Uh, we, we absolutely love it. And we've been doing it for about a year now. Um, and instead of uh, looking forward, which I would love to continue to do so with uh, like Brendan Fraser and seeing where his career trajectory is going to be going, let's reflect backwards a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the K cut a little bit. Uh, it's been a it's been a year, guys. It's been an entire year. And first off, I want to thank uh, both of you for um, wanting to take part in this and uh, co lead this thing with me. Um, I've always wanted to do like a like a substantial film pod. Uh, of this nature something so like so nuanced but also just blissfully carefree and uh, I, I appreciate I appreciate the both of you and uh, thanks to all of the listeners at home as well uh, let's let's talk the cake and, and our history there well when so, we first oh go ahead oh no I was just gonna ask like wh- how, where should we start um Maybe we could talk about some of our top favorite moments. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any in mind, Rachel, uh, since you brought that up? Hmm. Well, I was thinking maybe we could each talk about a couple of episodes that were meaningful to us. Maybe like one from the beginning, one later on, maybe like a theme we liked. And then we could talk a bit about the Oscars. That's kind of our flagship, so to speak. And maybe how we all know each other. Maybe we could start with how we know know each other. Because we don't say that all that often. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, um, well, you and I, Rachel, we know each other from uh, the, the university that shall not be named, uh, formerly known as, as Ryerson, um, through the uh, Film Preservation uh, Collections Management Program. And, mm, uh, I was the year ahead of Andreas, so we didn't really interact all that much, but we did run into each other at department events. Yes, and uh, I'll never forget that I was trying to figure out because my uh, in first year we still had to like start kind of planting the seeds of what our thesis would be so we could be steered in the right direction. Um, my initial ideas were way too ambitious, and I kept being told that again and again and again. And, and I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do, but there was one thing that I was certain of, and I've been certain of it for over ten years, is that um, Igmar Bergman's my favorite filmmaker of all time, and because I did some writing on him and. I uh, was considering going that direction and discussing maybe something uh, to do with his films within the Swedish uh, film industry, like when they were first released. Um, one of our professors actually said, well, there's only one person in second year that you need to talk to. and Her name is Rachel. That's right. I was at the Swedish Film Institute at the time, so it, it was pretty apropos. Yeah, and that's, that's how we met. You were giving uh, the second years at that point or giving their uh, thesis presentations, like uh, everybody was doing placements 
and like you said, you were doing yours uh, over in Sweden and giving these updates. Yeah, and we did have a brief discussion, as I recall. And that was basically it. I think otherwise we kept in touch, I think because of the, the award season. Yeah, absolutely. We so it was like, what can I say? <laughs> I think uh, because uh, so many uh, other film people, and I, I don't have a problem with this because there's, there's nothing wrong here. So many other people are quick to like, kind of just uh, poo poo the Oscars away and be like, I don't care for this. But uh, uh, not many people are as, outwardly um, uh, professing their love of like just watching these films uh, except for you. So I think that's how we bonded over that. Yeah. And then during the pandemic at the very beginning, you contacted me about maybe starting a podcast and then we kind of talked about it. And then you were like, let's add a third person. I know this one person. And that was me. Now you met me first. Uh, you you uh, messaged me first. This was like maybe five years ago or more at this point. Really, that long ago? It's wow. been a minute. Yeah. So I'll, I'll explain that. So we have a mutual friend, our friend John. He's our biggest fan. He is our biggest fan. He, Sh- shout that, outs to John. <laughs> he he is our biggest fan. So I just started noticing you two interact, and what it was was he shared an article that you'd written for taste of cinema at the time when you were writing for them. And I thought that article was great. And then I'd see you interact about music. And I was like, you know what? I don't usually just add random people, but he seems like he likes a lot of stuff I'm into. And then I just sort of added you and just shot you a message. And then we just kind of would talk back and forth. And then, yeah, I'd say it was mostly just random conversations. And then I remember, I remember when he first, told me about starting the website. And then when you did actually start the website, I pitched the idea. No, actually. No, I'm trying to think. No, it wasn't in the same year. I don't know if it was the first year, or the second year. I remember when I started my first podcast before I had to say, I had always had the intention of interviewing you for the show, which we ended up doing back. Actually, that was back in 2020. So that's mm-hmm. actually a few months from now. It's going to be probably two years. Almost. Actually, I think it's about a year and a half since that episode had come mm-hmm. out and been recorded. But then, yeah, you had mentioned how you had uh, wanted to, that you were planning a film podcast. And I had just mentioned, it's like, oh yeah, that that sounds like cool. It's like, I, I'd like to do that one day. And then just, I got roped into this and it was like, okay, cool. I have a second podcast. And yeah, we did, because I think you guys recorded two or three demos yourselves. We did a couple on our own. Yeah. Um, for a brief period in the fall, I was in quarantine by myself for two weeks. So Andreas and I had a lot of time to practice. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then we practiced, I think we did like three or four demos all together. And then around a year ago, I think this week or something like that, we had recorded the first episode and I think the week after the second, and then we dropped the first two on the 21st of December. So the actual year is coming up for the official release. And yeah, now here we are. 54 episodes in unbelievable yeah it's uh it's really crazy what uh what you know because uh i i feel like nowadays it's so easy to see like the negative side of what the internet's uh connectivity has allowed but it also grants for amazing opportunities like this where i don't feel like uh rachel we might not have kept in touch if it wasn't for that, uh, I wouldn't have met you at all, James, 
if it wasn't for for the internet. And nobody at home would be listening to all this reminiscing if it wasn't for the internet. It's the best part about the internet. You can make connections. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't have guessed that I would... Well, first, I didn't realize I would end up starting a podcast, let alone be a part of two. And then I just, you know, also getting involved with the website was something that I didn't really even think would be a thing or that I'd have interest in it because we both write for the website. Yes. And, um, and we've, we've interacted with other podcasts and um, I just think it's led to a lot of good things. Yeah. And I, uh, I thank the two of you as well for writing for the site, as well as um, uh, some of our other uh, contributors. It's uh, insanely overwhelming that anybody wants to contribute to my site at all. Like it, it actually blows my mind. To this day, um, gotta give you a break sometimes, right? Oh yes, please. <laughs> so on that <laughs> note, I'm going to be selfish and be like, please contribute more if you can. But I, you know, in general, like you know, I've I, I've, I've worked really hard, and uh, this is just really cool. I've always wanted to have like a, like a team of of like minded people who really want to share the love of film. And uh, Rachel, your expertise on you know lost films. Uh, international stuff that I've never even heard of. I know a lot of that's like research based, but still, like I feel like that's just such a palette for for like you know discovery that people need to ch- be checking out. And uh, James, with your uh, your fascination with shoestring budgets and how things can be made, you know, this is some real movie magic. You know, people talk about big special effects and everything, but there's also magic within pulling something out of nothing. And I feel like that's also something so educational and i feel like these are things that a lot of other sites aren't offering so not only am i grateful for you know the the two of you and everybody else contributing but like what you're contributing as well i think it's just so vital so thank you again thank you um yeah it's been quite a ride amazing and speaking of that ride um to bring it back to the K cut, let's uh, as you said, Rachel. Let's let's bring up some of our some of our favorite concepts and episodes, uh, you know, about this K cut ride. So, what are some of our some of our shout outs here? Uh, the two that I've got the best response from are the memorabilia one, which I think was a really cool concept, and I think a lot of people responded to it. And there are two kinds of film fans, or as everybody I've talked to calls it, the two Harrison Ford's episode. <laughs> two Harrison Ford episode. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it because that that is kind of wild that there are two Harrison Fords in history that were both in film. Yeah. Um, an early favorite of mine is also the Christmas one we did that I think was our second or third episode. Um, just because we talked about some really cool things that we that none of us had ever heard of, and I think it was really a sign of how well we were, we were going to complement each other in terms of taste. Yeah, oh, yeah, was I that think the one it was where it was like the not that that they aren't Christmas films, but we consider them Christmas films? Yeah, like I did the weird Soviet one and you did the independent one and then Andreas, I can't remember which one you picked, but it was like eyes wide shut. shut. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny because like I actually forgot about that and I've seen like other uh sites do something similar uh as of lately, and I was like, I I, I feel like we did touch upon that, so thanks for reminding me. I'm not gonna say that they that, that they're listening to the K cut, but I'd like to pretend that they're listening to us. So um yeah, nonetheless, I feel like that's a great a great one because uh, 
maybe that led into the smorgasbord, the cinematic smorgasbord, which for any new listeners, each month we do uh, uh, recommendations to one another so we could uh, introduce some of our tastes to the other co-hosts. And um, maybe that's where that kind of started, this recognition that we overlap, but we're also still so very different in taste. Well, one thing I think we were floating for a while was um, we should listen to each other's recommendations, say the random recs from a particular episode that we hadn't seen. And that's where it kind of grew from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the early talks of that where it was like, man, maybe we should start actually watching these suggestions. And then the smorgasbord was pitched and it ends up being like probably the best episodes ever. Yeah. I, I, I feel like one that I want to shout out. And I'm not saying that I, I kind of want to I, I want to do this again, but preferably with something a little a little less uh, a little less bad for my stomach. Um, that episode where we were uh, creating recipes based on uh, foods that we saw in films, albeit I did eat the the pixie stick sandwich from Breakfast Club and that uh, the twinkle in your uh, sandwich, yeah. You know, so there there is that side of it as well. But I've got to say, it's uh, uh, hilarious to, to attempt such such meals, and I feel like it's something that I would love to try and do again, again with something maybe a little less a little less crazy. Um, Your but, burger was genuinely good. Yeah, and I'll say this: uh, you know, I uh, since then. Um, uh, like I've moved in with my girlfriend and I'm cooking a lot more than I ever have. And, you know, the, uh, the, the Remy from Ratatouille inspiration is real. I would love to try and like craft something else again, but maybe, uh, you know, cause I, I felt like I was a little explorative with uh, the big kahuna burger, but I kind of want to try something, you know, that, but even more interesting, uh, whether it's that burger again, but even better or something, something, I don't know. The point is, the fact that I'm still talking about it, I, I love the episodes where it's like, it really gets your mind really grinding to think of something, or it gets your creative juices going. I love stuff like that when it comes to the K-Cut, and that's what I look forward to, and I try to replicate every time. I have three favorite episodes. Okay. So and th- and these are these actually all were released consecutively week after the other. It's uh the first one is the Life Cycle Cinematheque, which was the one Andreas was like, here, pick a film for each phase of life, which was probably one of the most intense episodes to come up with because I think there were five films each. Yes. Oh no, there was Oh, let's see, there was childhood, teens, young adult, adulthood. Oh, okay. So four, but still it was, it was just kind of crazy. Like come up with something so nuanced, like what is this that reminds you of this phase of life? And then the second one is the, so, so bad. It's not good where we all recommended each other the worst films ever. Oh God. I'm so sorry, viewers. Or no, I think it was, no, we, we didn't recommend, we picked our own. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I picked was. Manos, the hands of fate. Still to this day, worst movie ever. And then, um, and then the following one is the, um, let's see. Oh, uh, the one I came up with, the favorites and threes, where we discussed our favorite trilogies, and then we discussed films that we would like to expand into trilogies. And I like that particular one because I think it was just, I don't know, I, I, I it was just the most fun. We I think really it was because of that episode. 
Yeah. I think it was just how descriptive the episodes kind of got because it's like they were so specific to something. I mean, I don't think anything will top watching the worst movies ever, though. That one was just not not even just from just an episode in general, but just the experience of like, we're going to watch bad movies intentionally. Well, and then, of course, we, we can absolutely do that again. <laughs> oh, yeah. And of course, I love every Smorgasbord episode just because it's an excuse to watch movies I've never seen or ones I've been meaning to get around to. And there's one big thing we haven't really talked about, and that was our crazy Oscar season. <laughs> Ah, uh, uh, yeah. yes, which is uh, unfortunately, uh, fortunately in one sense, but also unfortunately, uh, approaching faster than typically because uh, this year the Oscars were later than they usually are. It was a first one because of the pandemic. And um, now they're happening around the time that they're supposed to. So get ready for less time to prepare. Oh, well, we've got it. We've got it, guys. I watched 50 movies in four weeks. I think I'm good. And that was with a full-time job. Oy. Yeah. Same here. 42 for me, but yeah, my poor family and friends. <laughs> well, um, uh, for the, for listeners at home, basically we attempted and succeeded in watching every single nominee of the Academy Awards. It's something that I've done. I've attempted to do for, God knows how long now, but I've actually succeeded in for the last three years, I think. This is like the third one in a row where I've succeeded. Please send help. So, uh, yeah, and it was amazing to be able to enjoy that similar sensation with the two of you this year. Because I know, Rachel, you've loved the Oscars longer than I have, actually, much longer than I have. Uh, But, James, this was kind of like a a first rodeo for you. But nonetheless, um, we still made predictions of like every single category and i can't wait for that rush (laughs) oh yeah well (laughs) i I think i will the academy awards also got it wrong and i don't mean like you know in terms of who they selected but they were clearly banking on somebody else with the way that they set things up but i digress (laughs) um yeah i can't wait to do it all again with uh, the two of you and uh yeah we also had a couple guests throughout the year too we did. Can't forget to mention them. Because I think it was your friend Tom, was it? Yes. That we had on? Yes. And then your friend G. Anthony was for the... Was that the for roundup. the post? Yeah, that was for the uh, the post-Oscars, which uh, uh, I, I'm sure, G. Anthony, if you're listening, uh, we'd love to have you again uh, for, for the post-Oscars. But um, I have so many people that I would love to invite onto the pod. And I, I feel like both of you do as well. And um, this is our way of saying that that door is open. So if you're interested, please let us know. <laughs> Does anybody have any uh, favorite smorgasbord picks they want to discuss? Ooh. Ooh. That's... I'm I'm so happy that that resonated with you the way it did. Because I was like, you know what? This is going to be strange, but I'm going to go for it. Does it make you feel better, Rachel? That Steven Soundheim uh, was also a big fan of Trey Parker and Matt Stone and actually wanted Team America to win Best Picture the year that it yes, came I've out. Yes, I've seen that letter. It's funny because Parker and Stone pretend they're so edgy, but they're really just theater nerds at heart. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're a big fan of South Park, uh, I don't think Trey Parker... Well, it's more Trey Parker than Matt Stone, but Trey Parker certainly doesn't hide it at all. Like, Think about the first season of South Park and it's like 
all these things that they're doing, like all these very shocking things, what do they still have time to include in there? They're just staying for Barbara Streisand. Well, yeah, musicals as well, but like they're they're clearly uh, Minnelli fans over over Barbara Streisand. So the Helen that- musical episode um, not only was a pitch perfect parody of Les Mis, it parodied the lead actor who originated the lead role of Jean Valjean in Les Mis, which is a joke maybe one percent of their audience would get. Well, that's the thing, because like they're they're making that joke for like somebody like you, Rachel, who actually would know that because I didn't. Yeah. And of course, the Book of Mormon exists, and uh, South Park, the like the bigger, longer, and uncut film. Uh, yeah, that was a musical as well, and actually, the songs were legitimately good. I can't repeat them on here, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like. On one hand, it's such a shocking pick, The Cannibal the Musical, but on the other hand, it kind of makes perfect sense given what you like and what the creators of this stuff like. Also, they got Stan Brackage, which is amazing. Just miraculous. <laughs> James, what about you? Uh, I have to say my favorite... I don't know, the one that was comes to mind is Carnival of Souls. Yes. Mm. Just because that movie was just so, it was the most, it was one of the most unique picks that we've had the entire time. And that one just stuck with me because of how just, I don't know, it's just one of those films where you like, you want to know what happens after, like, or like, just you want to know more in general on what's going into the story. I don't know. I think just my favorite thing, and uh, I talked about it a bit the last episode, but I just... I love being able to find films that are in my territory, but still kind of lean towards the interest that you two have. Cause I'm like, okay, what's this weird indie film I have? Okay. What's one that like with Candle the Musical, I was like, okay, it's weird, but it's a musical or like anything I'd recommend to you, Andre. So I was like, this is more his speed, but it's also like in my realm of being like super cheap and small. I'm just, I also really proud of uh, what I, recommended a guy and Madeline on a park bench for Rachel. That it was literally the one film that directly is tied to all three of our interests. (laughs) You're right. I don't know. Also, also my wild picks for the collective films. Cause uh, Sergeant Kabuki man, (laughs) legendary for being the one where we're like, yeah, this is not good at all. I mean, I got a kick out of it. And of course, disco dancer was, that was amazing. Okay. Yeah, that one was actually that one was actually badass. Uh, no, nah, no shame there. <laughs> also, Shaft that was a good one. That was our yes. first collective pick because I can't remember what we did for the first smorgasbord, but we didn't have a collective pick. Yeah, we didn't have a collective one for the first. I think it's such a great addition to it because, um, yeah, I, it it really gets us all talking afterwards. Cause like, you know, if, if somebody selected a film that they've seen to somebody else, it's kind of like, you know, the person discovering something and the person who's like, Oh yeah, I know this movie inside and out. But for all three of us to be caught off guard is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, for mine, I've got a couple of ones uh, for what you've recommended to me, James, I'm going to have to maybe go with uh, Mona Lisa, which I've been meaning to see for a very long time. And I think that was like the very first smorgasbord. If not, it was like one of the early ones. Um, I think it might've been the first one. It might've been the first one. And yeah, I feel like that's one that I've been wanting to see for a while. 
uh, and it was getting like the Criterion treatment and everything. It's interesting to see like this pastel colored noir film. Like it's so contradictory, but so visceral and effective at the same time. And for Rachel, my favorite pick that you've given to me, I think it's a clear winner for a Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which okay. I've been also meaning to see for a very long time. But to be able to like finally say that I've seen it and actually feel like I knew the music was going to be good and I knew it was going to be like a bit of a fun time, but to feel how effective and um, dramatic it also is at the same time, I, I, I get the hype. I get the hype. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, I'm really happy you enjoyed that because it's a movie that means a lot to me. Yeah, I was actually in the process of wrapping up my uh, best soundtrack list and I had to quickly toss that in there. I was like, no sheds in hell. Am I releasing a list that I've heard the soundtrack to Hedrick and the Angry Inch before I released it and I didn't bother to include it. That's not happening. It's got to <laughs> make a spot in there. I don't even remember what I tossed out of there, but it's like, I mean, like you get out of here. This is going in there. I recall <laughs> I'm it pretty there. high too. <laughs> Oh well, yeah. I think it's uh, it's a legitimately great soundtrack. Are there any other uh, K cut shoutouts that we want to make before we wrap things up? I just think it's been a great chance to learn to learn from each other, and maybe to like uh, maybe some of our viewers are learning from us. Yes, yes, There's and so I much feel to like learn. yes, and we're going to continue to do so. Like our idea board that you put together, Rachel. So thank you for that. Our idea board is continuously growing and we're barely using it. And I feel like we're going to run into that wall when we're going to need to use it. And we have like a ton of fascinating things. And I feel like once our schedules lighten up a little bit next year, we have so many B-rolls in, in store, like so many like interesting um, like pieces of history or lectures that we want to give, you know, these little seminars, so many cool things. Plus again, the award season. So I'm stoked. Me too. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, especially Alrighty. once we can kind of, you know, so everybody's lives have been kind of crazy lately. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we uh, we say sayonara and, 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 and chow for the day, um, let's bring things back to order with the cake cuts. So instead of yearning, let's get things back on track with how the K-Code operates. We're going to give you our random recommendations, but if this is your first time hearing us and you want to partake in all of this cool stuff that we just, all of this cool stuff that we just discussed, uh, where can you find us, Rachel? We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut, and we like to post little tidbits of film trivia and stuff like that. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe on any a streaming service you listen to us on, we really appreciate it. We are doing Cinematic Smorgasbord, which I believe is dropping January 4th, and our picks are collectively Never Fear by Ida Lupino and individually Splendor, Summertime, and Persona. Fantastic. So, who wants to go first with their random recommendations? I'll go. Okay. This is just a random thing that I watched recently. It's called 8-Bit Christmas. And it was put out on HBO max. It starts Neil Patrick Harris and it's his character and his daughter going to visit his parents' house. And he tells the story of how he got a, a Nintendo, like an original Nintendo entertainment system when the odds are against him. And it's, it's, it's not great, but it's just one of those things you can just throw on and have a good time. 
Fantastic. Uh, Rachel, what about you? I'd like to recommend Man's Castle. It's a very early Spencer Tracy film. And um, it's a pre-code romance between him and Loretta Young. So it's slightly scandalous for 1933, but I'm confident our modern audiences can handle it. Sounds good. See, this is these random recommendations are again highlighting all of our tastes uh, so so drastically, and I think that's a perfect way to wrap up this 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 episode uh, where we were looking back uh, for myself. Um, I guess because we were discussing winter, and I brought up Bergman earlier. Um, my brain can't can't escape this, so I've just got to put it out there. I'm going to go with Winterlight, which is uh, one of the most frigid feeling films I've ever experienced. And it's one of those films where I feel like maybe upon release, it wasn't as beloved of, you know, within uh, Bergman's canon. But uh, nowadays, a lot of people are identifying with how existential it is and how fantastically minimalist it is for a Bergman film. Like, there's very few different components, but it still gets away with what it's trying to do. And yeah, if you want to feel dread for the rest of your life, or at least for the rest of the of the winter season, uh, winter light. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The K-Cut. And that was The K-Cut. We are now going into The L-Cut. <laughs>